0: Torm stands as the paladin par excellence in the Faerunian pantheon, an unwavering holy champion of good and loyalty who serves as the model for all other lawful good warriors on Faerun. I am Ben Dignan and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. TITLES The following titles are given to Torm. The True, The True God, The Foolish, The Brave, The Loyal Fury, and The Hand of Righteousness. Portfolio and Domains Torm's portfolio includes Paladins and those who face danger for a greater good, duty, loyalty, and obedience. Torm's domain for 5th edition is War. Appearance, in Manifestations. Back before the Divine Edict, when the deities of the realms are far more active in the Prime Material, Torm's avatar would occasionally come down to fight evil monsters and justice. Torm appears as a large-sized human man standing 12 feet tall. He wears ancient plate armor that is purple in color with a dull finish. Torm sometimes looks like an older white-haired human and at other times he looks like a young, handsome blond-haired man. When Torm engages in combat, he will sometimes shift into the form of a lion-headed man wearing golden plate armor. If you picture the trope of the muscular, armor-clad, chivalrous, square-jawed paladin, that is Torm in a nutshell. Torm uses various mounts in combat, but his preferred mount is an ancient gold dragon. Torm has a magical calming aura that will dispel any fear in Torm's allies around him. Torm can summon any ranged or melee weapon to appear in his gauntleted hands. Though Torm's weapon of choice is a two-handed plus five Holy Avenger greatsword that also has the same features as a Sunblade. This weapon Torm calls Duty's Bond. Torm also has spiritual throwing hammers that he can toss about as ranged weapons. If Torm chooses to stand guard over an item or creature similar or smaller in size compared to him, any assailing opponent has no choice but to target Torm, as Torm can completely defend his charge. Torm does not treat A1 on an attack roll as an automatic miss, instead, it is treated as a normal roll. Torm can sense anything out from 8 miles from himself, or within 8 miles of his worshippers, holy sites, objects, or a location where his name was spoken in the last hour. Torm is tuned into any act of chivalry or violation of chivalry that occurs in the realms. Torm can also create any magic weapon, armor, or magic item meant for a mount below a market value of 30,000 gold pieces. One of Torm's manifestations is a floating metal gauntlet 12 feet in length. It glows with a white aura and arcs of electricity occasionally make their way across the surface of the gauntlet. It can speak with Torm's voice, carry items or creatures, or assist in knocking down a barrier or fighting a creature. Another manifestation is an animated weapon, which is usually a sword or shield to help protect the faithful. Some lesser manifestations of Torm are a bright white diamond set into a wall or door, a gauntlet, sword, or shield burning to a piece of fabric, or a pure white rose growing specifically near a castle gate or along a narrow mountain pass. Personal History From the outset of 1st and into 2nd edition, Torm was a demigod, and as the editions and subsequently as history progressed in the Forgotten Realms, Torm rose in the hierarchy of the deities. Before Torm became a deity, he was a faithful mortal warrior who lived during a period not long after the fall of Netheril in negative 339 Dale Reckoning. He was deeply devoted to his king and willing to place himself into danger despite any potential dangers to himself. Where or which ancient kingdom this was is currently unknown, but many have taken to calling it Chalcember. His story in ascendancy to a Demigod remains a mystery. A few years after negative 243 Dale Reckoning, Torm allied himself with Elmater and rel- a relatively new tutorial, tier, and formed together the powerful, lawful, good alliance known as the Triad. During the Time of Troubles, Torm in his avatar form resided in the city of Tantris. Torm's followers and Tantris deeply persecuted and acted out against the followers of other deities. This was done under the misguidance of a high priest named Tenwelf. Though it was unknown to Torm, one of the Tablets of Fate was hidden in his temple in Tantris. Bane came to Tantris with the Zhentarim navy in tow in order to steal away the Tablet. In order to fight off this force, Torm absorbed the souls of many of his followers, who gave their souls willingly, as well as the heretics who had infiltrated his church. Torm took on the appearance of a massive, lion-headed man and did battle with Bane. Though he won out against Bane and destroyed the Zentarim navy, Torm died from the battle. However, he was restored to his former self by Eo for his service after the end of the Time of Troubles. Tyr also raised Torm from a demigod to a lesser deity, and Torm created his own realm in the upper plain of Mount Celestia known as Trueheart. Torm was one of the deities who teamed up to remove Cyric from the role of Lord of the Dead and replace him with Kalimvor in 1368 Dale Reckoning. In 1384 Dale Reckoning, due to a misunderstanding that is thought to have been the responsibility of Cyric's machinations, Tyr killed Helm in the duel. Ilmener at this time removed himself from the Triad and switched Upper Plains. Realizing the repercussions of what transpired, and feeling a great degree of shame, Tyr abdicated his position as a, greater, as a greater deity to Torm. At the outset of the spell plague in 1385 Dale Reckoning, Tyr sacrificed himself to defend against a demonic incursion into the Upper Plains. Following Tyr's death, Omidir returned to Torm and with Muhammad formed the triad once again, with Torm taking Tyr's position at the head. Finally during the events of the Second Sundering starting in 1482 Dale Reckoning, Tyr was reborn taking his position at the head of the triad once more, and Bahamut peacefully stepped aside. It is said in some liturgical texts of Torm that Torm will die in self-sacrifice to defend the realms from Cyric one last time in what will be the last battle of the gods. PERSONALITY Torm is a lawful good deity. Torm is the paragon of loyalty, bravery, and unflinching courage. He is strict, virtuous, and unwavering, but beneath that stern personality is a humble deity who is a generally good and kind being. He is gentle and open with those who are close to him. Personal realms we'll start by first describing Torm's realm in the great wheel cosmology that is used in first edition, second edition as is now is the assumed, default cosmology for 5th edition. As a former demigod, Torm used to reside in the Prime Material Plane from 1st edition and early on into 2nd edition. Later in 2nd edition, Torm came to reside on the Upper Plane of Mount Celestia. Torm's personal realm was now named Trueheart and existed on the Lair of Mercuria. When he ascended to the Upper Plains, Torm claimed a large turreted tower called the Lonely Tower from atop the ice mountains down on Toril to serve as the heart of his realm. Mount Celestia is the upper plane of good and purity. The mountain is central to this plane, and there are seven layers that ascend up to the summit. Each layer is separated by a level of fog that makes up the sky for that level. Across the mountain are several trails and paths that lead in various directions. In order to ascend up the mountain, travelers have to find the true path up to the next lair. Such journeys are considered trials to test worshippers' resolve and faith. Those worshippers separate from the Dwarven, Halfling, and Dragon deities who reside on Mount Celestia become Archons. Much like devils, the Archons move through a hierarchy of beings of greater power, though their motivations are more about service and good deeds. Mercuria the second level of Mount Celestia is also known as the Golden Heaven. Here an ever present golden light illuminates this layer. Mercuria has thin air that makes those unaccustomed to it giddy. It is regarded as the mustering ground for all the lawful good martial forces that reside on Mount Celestia. Here tombs and mausoleums have been built to honor the eternally resting warriors of good and order. These warriors are honored on an annual celebration known as the day of memory. Moving into the Great Tree cosmological model which was used in third edition. In this model Torm resides on the plane known as the House of the Triad with Ilmater and Tyr. This is a plane full of majestic halls and palaces lit by an ever-present radiance. Law here is more the defining characteristic rather than good on this plane. given, Given the presence of the other lawful neutral deities here with the lawful good deities, confusingly there is a mountain here called Celestia. However, there are three mountains surrounding Mount Celestia, where the realms of Ilmater, Tyr, and Torm lie upon each mountain summit. Trueheart is one of the three mountains specific to Torm and forms this realm. Here, Torm has a palace that looks much like a military fortress. It is made of diamond, mithril, and adamantine. Though this description of Trueheart comes from the Great Tree model. I would expand its characteristics to that of Trueheart in the Great Wheel model considering we are without a description, at least from what I was able to find from those sources. And finally, let's end this section on realms with the World Axis Cosmological Model used in 4th edition. Out in the Astral Sea, Torm resides in a realm known as Celestia. Here are the three mountains associated with Torm, Tirid, Ilmater ring Mount Celestia. Near the top of Celestia is its city that encircles the mountain known as the True Court. Here Torm resides and rules from his place known as the High Seat. Allies and Allegiances Torm's superior and ally is Tyr. Torm works amicably alongside Ilmater in service to Tyr in the Triad. In service to Tyr, Torm acts as a war leader and Tyr's visible champion, much like he did for the king he served as a mortal. Helm and Torm are allies, despite the rivalry that exists between their followers on the Prime Material. Bahamut and Torm both reside on Mercuria, the second layer of Mount Celestia. Bahamut even served as a member of the Triad for some time before Tyr returned. Other allies of Torm are the Red Knight, Lathander, and Almonitor. Enemies Torm's chief enemies include Bane, Ball, Cyric, and Mask. Avatar and Deity Stat Blocks You can find the stat block for Torm's avatar in the 2nd edition supplement, Faiths and Avatars. You can find the stat block for Torm himself as a deity in his avatar in the 3rd edition supplement, Faiths and Pantheons. Symbols Torm has two symbols. The first and most common symbol is a right-handed, metal gauntlet held upright. From 1st edition to 5th edition, the depiction of the symbol has become more stylized. This symbol is known as the hand resolute. Not just places of worship but civic, but civic buildings and houses of worshippers are adorned with the symbol, often to serve as a reminder to uphold Torm's ideals. The symbol of the right gauntlet was chosen to symbolize Torm's responsibility as the swarm arm of Tyr in the triad. The second lesser known symbol is a silver or grey metal shield with the same gauntlet symbol described just before upon the shield face. Three black arrows are stuck, stuck in the shield as well. Central Dogma From the *Faith and Avatars 3rd edition supplement Torm's faith is one of the most ethically pure of all faiths in that it is devoted to loyalty and obedience. This is not a blind obedience and a servant working for an evil master is responsible to a higher authority in his loyalty. The Tormish believe that salvation may be found through service, that every failure diminishes the lord of duty, and that every success adds to his luster. They strive to maintain law and order and to obey their masters to the utmost power with alert judgment and anticipation. The Tormish stand ever alert against corruption and are expected to strike quickly and hard against any rot in the hearts of mortals. As the sword arm of justice, the Tormish are expected to bring painful, quick deaths to betrayers. They are to question unjust laws by suggesting improvement or alternatives, not additions. Their fourfold duties are to faith, family, masters, and all good fellow beings of Faerun. Presence of the Faith The typical alignment of those who follow Torm are Lawful Good, Neutral Good, and Lawful Neutral. Common worshippers of Torm include cavaliers, paladins, good-aligned fighters and warriors, knights, guardians, and loyal courtiers. After defeating Bane and defending Tantris during the Time of Troubles, the popularity of Torm's faith spread across the continent of Faerun. The number of Tormish worshippers expanded and new places of worship were established. There is a rivalry that exists between the followers of Torm and Helm, despite no animosity that exists between the two deities themselves. This began following Torm's victory over Bing and the sudden surge in Torm's popularity that followed afterwards, while Helm's popularity seemed to lessen. The Black Lion tribe are a former Uthgart tribe who have put aside their former traditions And now either worship a member of the triad or helm. They have now settled near Beorun as well. While most countries and states do not have a state religion in the Forgotten Realms, El Tugard has chosen the faith of Torm as their state religion and temples can be found across this theocracy. El Turel the capital of El Tugard is ruled by the high observer of Torm who polices the entire theocracy. Currently the High Observer is Priest of Torm by the name of Thavis Krieg. The High Priest from Tantris's Temple of the Torm, known as the Temple of Torm's Coming, serves on the High Council of Tantris alongside the heads of local merchant families. Some of the Dragonborn brought into tutorial during the Spell Plague find purpose outside their draconic deities with other deities associated with duty like Torm. The Order of the Gauntlet is a strong faction in the Sword Coast, made up of holy warriors and adventurers devoted to fighting evil out in the open. Members of this order worship Torm, Tyr, Helm, and Hor. Why not Ilmater? I don't know offhand, considering the triad is still active. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy Torm's priests are known as holy champions and are trained warriors. The structure of the faith is based around a three-level hierarchy. The top hierarchy are the priests of Torm. The middle hierarchy is composed of the paladins and knightly orders dedicated to Torm. The third and lowest hierarchy is composed of Torm's light, of Torm's lay worshippers, such as the warriors, public servants, etc. The top hierarchy consists of the various ranks of the clergy known as the Tormtar. Moving through the hierarchy is based around both merit and length of service. In ascending order... The, priest, the priestly ranks are as follows. The unproven, who are of the novices of the faith, the andorans, who are lower rank priests, faith blades, wardens, vigilants, watchful venturers, loyans, enforcers, guardians, knights, vanguardiers, and champions. If that wasn't confusing enough, there are now Sorry, there are specific duty titles given to others of varying ranks, such as the Patrol Captain, the Revered Messenger, the Door Warden Seneschal, the Temple Master, High Priest, and Priest Inquisitors. Uh, These Inquisitors are those who serve as the teachers and disciplinarians within the Church. The second hierarchy are the military branch of the Church. They are tasked with different martial tasks and quests. This tier of the hierarchy are known as the Swords of Torm. Most, but not all, are warriors and paladins devoted to different orders in the realms. The Swords are allied with the Tormtar, but by no means do they or are they expected to take order from the priests. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faith The clergy of Torm are to go abroad, root out corruption, and some extend this responsibility to try and reform regions and nations that are too lawless. If a worshipper becomes aware of corruption, they are to do what they can to fix such corruption. Worshippers and clergy are to act as active forces for good, right wrongs, and help the innocent and hopeless. Each worshipper to Torm is expected to pay an annual tithe to their local temple as they can. Given the acts of persecution committed by the heretical Tormish clergy and followers during the Time of Troubles, Torm's faith are expected to carry out a series of actions to atone for three debts, known as the Penance of Duty. Though given how long ago the Time of Troubles were compared to present-day Forgotten Realms, I am not sure if the followers of Torm are still expected to pay off these debts, but here they are regardless. The Debt of Persecution To repay their persecution of other religions, the truly faithful must aid other goodly religions in reestablishing themselves. The Debt of Dereliction To atone for their abdications of duty to guard against strife, the Tormish must expend all possible effort to eliminate any surviving cults of Bane as well as to oppose all efforts of Syracis and the Zentarum. And finally, the Debt of Destruction Followers followers of Torm are obliged to relieve the destruction to the magic weave incurred during the Time of Troubles. All dead magic areas are to be reported and repaired. In addition, all permanent results of the magical chaos of the Time of Troubles are to be similarly undone and all wild magic areas reported and eradicated. The clergy are expected to provide safe housing, training, and lend support militarily to other allied orders and other military groups. The faith stands watch over the areas that might erupt into war against the regions they serve in. Rarely does a church mobilize for war, but they do so when duty calls. Certain chosen members across the three three hierarchies of Torm's church will be given a large amount of freedom to disregard the general responsibilities to pursue a certain responsibility dictated to them by Torm himself. In turn... They have to pay a significant tithe back to the faith to make up for these freedoms. A few special members are tasked with exploring Toril and reporting back to the network of temples, so that the faith is always aware of events occurring out in the world. Orders and priestly bodies, more a collection of individuals by circumstance rather than organizing on their own, the martyrs' progeny are those who were children of those who willingly gave up their souls to help Torm win against Bane. As they fought in Tantras during the Time of Troubles. Several of these children who went on to grow up displayed various divine abilities and or entered into Torm's church. A good portion of the martyr's progeny are likely dead given the approximately 140 years that have passed, but some of them who are of the longer lived races may still be alive. The Order of the Golden Lion This order of paladins was founded soon after Torm's rebirth during the Time of Troubles. These paladins especially take the penance of duty to heart and wander the realms carrying out this penance. They can be found guarding the temples of other allied faiths or attending to quests to help recover holy items and relics important to that allied faith. Paladinhood is lost for those who fail in this penance, and it can only be reclaimed if a difficult quest is completed that is in line with the penance of duty. In order to advance in rank through this order... Service in the name of repaying one of the debts for some time must be completed. The same armor is worn by members of this order, regardless if they are out in the field or participating in ceremony. This armor is a full suit of plate mail that when polished gives the armor a bright gold sheen. The suit of armor consists of an ornate helm as well. In service to the penance of duty, each member of this order has a monthly duty to perform a quest or perform guard duty... For a temple of an allied faith. They are to perform all duties that they are presented with from this temple so long as they do not conflict with the tenets of their own faith. Paragons are priests who act very much like paladins but are deeply tied to the faith and Tantris. Paragons in the same way act as paladins and go out on quests and crusades. Paragons wear plate mail and helmets with a white sheen to it and sky blue cloaks. They only carry swords that they can use two-handed and will not use shields. The Knights of Infrest II are an elite order of paladins pledged to the crown of Impilter for life. Their formal name is the Most Holy Order of the Sacred Strike, and they are composed solely of paladins in service to one of the Triad. They specialize in hunting down fiends and find any threat from ancient Narfell to the northeast. Three lords serve as the triumvirate of the order, each one representing the deities of the Triad. Each of them is given the title of War Captain. The day-to-day management of the Order is carried out by the Council of Shrike Lords, a body of 40 paladins and clerics. Each member of the Order is considered a member of Impilter's Standing Army, and most of them are recognized as officers. Pockets of the Abyss, known as Demon Cis, are buried beneath Impilter, and this Order are the specialists trained to fight against what themes may come out of the Cis, in whatever humanoids, cultists, and or creatures align themselves with the demons. Joining this order requires an oath of fealty to the Impilter crown and sponsorship from one of the three phases of the Triads. Then the test of the Triad must be completed whereby an individual must confront and or defeat three of Impilter's foes with bravery. The Triad has a long history in Impilter. Starting in 729 Dale Reckoning, the Triad Crusade began when the army dedicated to the Triad traveled to Impilter and started the Fiend Wars against the Skilled Horde. The Impiltern crown was seized by King Agrosh the Skilled and the population was driven into exile. Out of this war the Order of the Triad was formed to defend against any more Fiendish incursions into Impilter. Over the years, this order's strength waned from battles and political strife. In 1196 Dale recting King Infraest II of Impilter created the Most Holy Order of the Sacred Shrike after interpreting the sight of a shrike killing a small demon as an omen. The Loyal Order of Innocence is an order formed in 1369 recting by the royal decree of the Crown of Tathir. It is a small order dedicated solely to the worship of Torm. The Order was formed in honor of the Saint, Shield of Innocence, an Orog Paladin of Torm who gave up his life to defend the city of Zazepur. Despite its small size, the Order is well-funded by the Crown of Dithyr and other nobles. The Janissar the Members of the Janissar are worshippers of the Triad deities. They are mounted defenders of the poor and oppressed in Kalmshan. They patrol the roads, taking out slaving, taking out slaving caravans bandits, and highwaymen. They move in small squads of five to six members composed of priests, clerics, fighters, and or paladins. Their true numbers are unknown given the secrecy they attach to themselves and what seem to be their unwillingness to gather in larger groups In larger groups than twelve. They have secret strongholds in the Marching Mountains and are led by three elderly priests of each faith who have given up their martial duties. The Knights Kaldar of Beric Morden, also known as the Beric Mordana, are a militant group of holy warriors in service to the triad who live in a fortified abbey on a road between Darumar and Saradush in Thir. They have an alliance with the Janissar, but after that they have little contact with the other groups associated with the triad. The knights aim to, aim to heal the sick, help the weak, and avenge those harmed by injustice. This group is far more eclectic than any other normal triad group. The majority of the knights are worshippers of Torm though the group is led by a commander from each of the three faiths. The Companions of Altogard are a collective of paladins of various faiths, Torms included, who serve in defense of Altogard. The Girded Healers are an order of knights who travel the realms using their divine powers to heal the wounded and sick in ravaged and war-torn areas. Appearance and Dress The clergy of Torum wear either one of two forms of dress. Clean and polished plate armor or robes with breastplate and bracers. Each form of dress is accompanied by an ornate helm and gauntlets inscribed with the pendants of duty. The color of the armor of the robes denotes the rank of the clergy member. Unadorned metal is for the unproven. Dark crimson is for the andurans. Rose red is for the faith blades. Deep amber is for the wardens. Sunrise Orange is for the Vigilants, Harvest Yellow is for the Watchful Venturers, Pale Green is for the Loyans, Dragon Green, also known as Bottle Green, is for the Enforcers, Sky Blue is for the Guardians, Twilight Blue is for the Knights, Amethyst is for the Vanguards, and Dusky Purple is for the Champions, the Most Holy Priests of the Faith, as well as the Greatest Heroes of Torm. The Armor of the Clergy is their ceremonial dress, as well as their adventuring dress. Armor is expected to be polished and cleaned at all times, aside from it might conflict with their own duties. Rituals Clerics of Torm pray and meditate for the spells at dawn. There are two holy days for the Church of Torm. The first is the divine death commemorated on the 13th of Aelisus, when Torm defeated Bane in combat, but died during the Time of Troubles. Then on the 15th of Marpanoth, the faith celebrates the true resurrection when Torm was brought back to into existence after the battle with Bane. When commemorating the divine death, the faith remembers all those who have fallen for just causes. Prayers are said and a large feast is attended. Afterwards, the priests of Torm go out to graves or battle sites where these heroic individuals perished. The clergy light special votive candles and pray throughout the night recounting the deeds of the fallen. Some of the clergy receive peaceful visions during their sleep on this night, though clergy who witness the vision of Torm's death are said to die within the coming year. The true celebration is a day where all the lawfulness of Torm's worship and devotion is dropped to allow for worshippers and clergy to revel and indulge in activities they otherwise are forbidden to. A small few, however, use it as an opportunity to go out and commit actions to bring down vengeance on others that they otherwise would be forbidden to. All loyal followers receive visions in their sleep on the night of the true celebration. Some choice few are gifted with the loyal boon. This gift allows them to cast a single spell outside their class spell list one time. On shield meet, the church takes the time to reaffirm oaths, perform marriages, and graduate worshippers from their apprenticeships. Worshippers of Torm are expected to pray to Torm at least four times per day, once at dawn, once at noon, once at dusk, and finally, once at midnight. A worshipper may add any specific prayers to the four prescribed prayers to ask for assistance in a specific task that they need to carry out. Torm's Table is a ritual specifically carried out by Tormtar. A A grand meal is prepared by the clergy member for a stranger of lesser means. During the meal, the clergy member is expected to fast and wait on the stranger. After three days, the clergy member is to confess any shortcomings and failures to a fellow clergy member and report on their duties to his superior. Investiture is a ceremony through which a novice becomes a full clergy member of the faith. Any member of the clergy is to attend this ceremony if they are within a day's ride of the ceremony's location. The novice is to dirty themselves as much as possible, whether that be from rolling in dirt, mud, or through other means, and beg for rags from others around town. For a day they are to fast. That evening they are brought into the temple, washed clean by their fellows, and invited into the priesthood. A hymn is sung, and then all but the novice leave the sanctuary, as the novice is left locked in the temple to complete the holy vigil. A Holy Vigil occurs each time a new member is welcomed into the clergy and each time a clergy member rises in the rank of the priesthood. A bastard sword is magically levitated over the individual to hang above their head, point downward. Each time the individual suffers any doubt or wavers in their vigil, the blade drops slightly. The blade never drops with enough force to seriously injure the individual. However, when blood is drawn from the individual, the levitation is broke on the sword and it clatters to the ground. There is a deep amount of shame associated with failing the holy vigil. Depending on the situation, the individual may pray deeply and be allowed to carry out the vigil once more the next night, be charged with a quest or penance, or be cast out from the clergy altogether. General Locations of Temples and Shrines Temples to Torum are also built to be citadels. They are often constructed high up on the mountainsides or other places of high elevation to obtain a better view of the surroundings. Temples are built out of white granite and seem to give off an aura of light. The temples are decorated with the statues of lions and armored warriors, and the insignia of those who fell in service to Torm. These temples often contain training grounds, stables, high towers, quarters for residents or visiting knights, and plain, simple worship halls specific locations of temples and shrines. The location of the ancient kingdom Torm served remains a mystery, and scholars debate as to where it was precisely located, or what the kingdom's name was. Currently, the strongest theories place it south of the Lake of Steam, somewhere in the territory of the Border Kingdoms. The search for this ancient kingdom is a quest pursued by several of Torm's followers. The clergy of Torm's faith call this kingdom the Hight Seat or Chalcember. Followers believe that this location will hold key details of Torm's mortal life that Torm seems unwilling to divulge. Some suspect Torm keeps a shroud of mystery around Chalcembr in order for the mystery to always serve as a personal quest for his worshippers to try. Some believe that the follower to find Chalcembr will go on to become a divine servant to Torm in the Upper Plains. Tantris is an important city for Tormish worshippers. Before Torm defeated Bane in the Time of Troubles, Tantras was already the center of worship for Torm's church. After defeating Bane, the city only grew in importance for the clergy. Tantras now serves as a popular pilgrimage site for Torm's worshippers. Here the Temple of Torm's Coming is built to commemorate that battle. The Temple of Torm's Coming is the largest Tormish temple in all of Faerun. This temple is a scarred, white granite fortress sitting atop the city's highest hill. Eagle Peak is a small hamlet that serves as a caravan stop for those coming in and out of Cormyr. Here a small temple to Torm has been built known as the Citadel of the Rampant Eagle. Another named Temple to Torm is the House of the Hand in Procamper. A known Temple to Torm can be found in Tasir. Known Shrines to Torm can be found in Ermlasper, er- Hillsfar, and Raven's Bluff. Character Options For those playing 2nd edition, in the 2nd edition Supplement Faiths and Avatars, you can find the features for the Holy Champion, a specialty priest devoted to Torm. In the Supplement Origin Priests of the Realms, you can find Torm-specific features for a Crusader player, and the features of a Tormish Priest known as a Paragon. For those playing 3rd edition, in the 3rd edition Supplement Champions of Valor, you can find a series of different options. The Martyr's Progeny and Board of the Triad backgrounds the Initiative of Torm is an initiate feat for clerics and paladins, the Mark of the Triad feat for those who are currently initiates of one of the Triad, Golden, li- excuse me, golden Lion substitution levels for paladins looking to serve in the order of Golden Lions, and finally the Triadic Knight prestige class. For those playing 4th edition, in the Forgotten Realms Player's Guide supplement, you can find the Chosen of Torm utility excuse me, the Chosen of Torm utility ability known as Battle Judgment, and the Channel Divinity ability called Torm's Justice. Continuing the trend of building backgrounds, here are my suggested characteristics for a Tormish worshipper background. For your two skill proficiencies, I would take Athletics and Persuasion. For your Languages and Tool proficiencies, I would take a Language proficiency in Celestial and a Tool proficiency in Vehicle's Land. Equipment, I had a hard time choosing between one, so there's a lot of different martial flavor background equipment lists you could choose from. That includes the knight and the soldier from the Player's Handbook, or the city watch, the faction agent, and get the order from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. I would look through those equipment lists and look for an item you could probably swap out for a holy symbol. For your background feature, also known as your Ribbon Ability, I would likewise use one of the Ribbon Features, any of those backgrounds I just mentioned in the Equipment section, or even substitute the Acolyte Shelter of the Faithful Ability. Now here's a list of subclasses that I think would be thematically appropriate for MBC or PC to take if they are Worshipper of Torm. Uh, for the Bard, I would use either the College of Valor from the Player's Handbook or the College of Swords from Xanathar's Guide going to everything. Uh, for the Cleric, the War Domain is obviously heavily suggested, but I can also see an argument for using the Life Domain for a Cleric who wants to play a Medic slash Healer role in a martial capacity in their game. For the Fighter, I would take a look at the Champion and Battlemaster from the Player's Handbook, a Reflavored Purple Dragon Knight from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and the Cavalier and Samurai from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Monk, I would take a look at the Way of the Open Hand for the Player's Handbook, the Way of the Sunsoul Monk from the Solar Coast Adventurer's Guide and Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and the Way of the Kensai Monk from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Paladin, uh, the Paladin is by and large the de facto class of Torm Worship. I would choose and take a look at the Oath of Devotion, from Player's Handbook, the Oath of Vengeance from Player's Handbook as well, as well as take a look at the Oath of the Crowns from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. For the Ranger, you have the Hunter from the Player's Handbook, and the Monster Player, sorry, the Monster Slayer, and Gloomstalker from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Now, there's an argument that can be made that there really shouldn't be anyone who could play a rogue as a member of Torm's faith. I severely disagree personally. I can see an argument where you could be an agent who infiltrates different sorts of factions, evil factions, dubious factions around the realms. Uh, so take, for example, the Assassin for the Player's Handbook, the Mastermind Swashbuckler from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and Xanthire's Guide to Everything, and the Inquisitive and Scout, both from Xanthire's Guide to Everything. For the Sorcerer, uh, you can use the Dragon Sorcerer Specifically, the gold or silver dragon ancestry for the dragon sorcerer in the player's handbook, and obviously the divine soul from Xanthar's Guide to Everything. For the warlock, there's the celestial who could use the who could have a celestial patron who's in service to Torm, such as an angel or, or Chiron. And for the wizard, it's a bit of a stretch, but I can see an argument for the war magic uh, wizard found in Xanthar's Guide to Everything. Dungeon Master Options To start, as always, we'll take a look at monsters that are relevant to Torm. So from the 5th edition, edition monster manual, you have the three angels, the Deva, the planetar, and solar. Uh, animated armor, flying sword, quadal, gold and silver dragons, helmed horror despite its name, the guardian naga, pegasi, maybe it's sort of iffy with the change in alignment there, the unicorn and the lion. From Volo's, you have the Kyren. From the Guildmaster's Guide to uh, Ravnica, you have the Battleforce Angel, the Fireman Angel, and the Felder. Now obviously these three monsters are creatures specific to Ravnica, and they would need to be reflavored, but I don't see that as an issue. From Curse of Strahd, there is a monster stat block known as the Phantom Warrior. I might consider swapping their undead typing to be Celestial, or you could very well leave it as undead. There are good-aligned undead who are canonically appropriate. But to round out the section here are just some other non-5e monsters associated with Torm. Uh, Lamassus. Uh, I'm not sure on the pronunciation of this one, so I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and say it's Xavers. Uh, these are living beings that look like swords. They are weird. I suggest you look them up. Finally, there's the Ghost Guard. These are souls of Torm's most loyal warriors, who some are on Highjar, and other are just simply celestial warriors. Uh, next, just taking a look at different stop blocks for that could be used for NPCs in your game, humanoid NPCs, I should say, more specifically. So, from the Monster Manual, you have the acolyte, the knight, the priest, the scout, and the veteran. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, you have the Archer Champion who can also be found in Tales from the Yawning Portal, Tomb of Annihilation, and Dungeon of the Mad Mage. You have the Martial Arts Adept, who is also found in Tales from the Yawning Portal and uh, Water Deep Dragon Heist, the War Priest, and the Warlord. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, there is the Soldier, the Stat Block for Aurelia, who is a very powerful angel who could obviously be reflavored for use in your own game. The Fire Fist stat block, the Frontline Medic, and the Reckoner. From the Tomb of Annihilation, there is Zindar. He is a gold half-dragon NPC in that adventure, who could be easily turned into an important NPC in your own campaign, if you so choose. From Waterdeep Dragon Heist, there is the Griffin Cavalry Rider and the stat block for a named NPC named Halam, who is a monk devoted to Tyr, who could easily be changed to a monk devoted to Torm. Alright, moving into the home stretch, last section of the podcast, magic items. The pronunciation on this item is going to be difficult, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce it. The Vologhan of Vigilance. This is a well-worn and battered war shield that doubles as a holy tome. This relic bears no special markings or insignia upon it. It is enchanted to ward itself against acid and rust damage, thus any spell that would have such an effect against the shield is reflected back at the spellcaster as a bolt of lightning dealing 1d6 per level of the spell cast. Between the arm strap and handle of the shield on the back of the shield is a circular steel disc engraved with the symbol of Torm. And behind this disc are 18 thin metal sheets that pivot and fan out from this metal disc. Each metal sheet has the symbols and sigils for a single spell stamped out upon them. The first record of this shield comes from 1158 Dale Reckoning and ever since it has passed through the hands of wandering devotees to Torm. The established church attempted to find and claim it, but Torm let it be known through his own followers that it was better to be kept in use across Faerun in time. The last known whereabouts of it were in the hands of a priest named Amaratus Dunthon who was a member of an adventuring company known as the Company of the Crow. This company was slain by a summoned Beatezu in 1344 Dale Reckoning and any record of the shield ceases from there. You can find the details for this important relic in the 2nd edition supplement, Prayers of the Faithful. heart. Is an intelligent and magical greatsword that is another lost relic from the Church of Torm. This greatsword was cari- was carried by Bertold the Seeker, a paladin of Torm, whose personal quest was to find Chalcember. While on his quest, Bertold was assailed by ogres and killed in the Toad Squat Mountains. Unknown to Bertold, the sword was forged with the capability to draw on the wielder's soul upon their death, and Bertold's soul was taken into the sword. This was done so that knowledge that Berthold possessed could be retained for future generations. It is said that once someone takes up the blade, their soul will then go on to continue Berthold's quest, and their soul will take the place of Berthold to allow Berthold to achieve his rest in the Upper Plains finally. This great sword is made of cold iron, tinted with gold, and decorated with lion motifs. Along both sides of the blade is written Seek the High See Always and Celestial. You can find the detail for Chelsember's Heart in 3rd Edition supplement Champions of Valor. The following two magic items associated with Torm can be found in the 3rd Edition supplement Magic of Faerûn. The short Excuse me, the Shield of Vigilance is a +1 bashing shock large steel shield that bears the symbol of Torm. It is one of the more common magic items favored by the Patrons of Torm. The Lance of Faerun is a lance fashioned of hard wood and fashioned with a steel point. It is crafted for those who follow Torm and these lances do find their ways into the other hands of Patrons of Good. They are plus two holy lances that allow the wielder to use the spirited charge feat. If the wielder is a patron of Torm the lance gains a bane effect against outsiders. Rather than list off a long list of items that could be related to Torm's Church, leaving me with a long list then to reiterate to you, I'm going to pinpoint what I think to be some of the most relevant magic items in 5th edition. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's the Adamantine Armor, Animated Shield, Dairn's Instant Fortress, the Dancing Sword, the Defender, the Golden Lion's variant of the Figurines of Wondrous Power, both the gold and silver dragon variants of Dragon Scale Mail, the Holy Avenger, the Mace of Disruption, the Manual of Gainful Exercise, Potion of Heroism, Rod of Alertness, spellguard shield, and the Sunblade. From Xanathar's Guide to Everything, there's the Armor of Gleaming. From Storm King's Thunder, you could easily reflavor the Banner of the Craig rune. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, you could reflavor all these items the Boros Guild Signet, and the Sword of the Payruns. From Out of the Abyss, there's Dawnbringer. From Lost Minds of Phandelver, there's Dragonguard. From Curse of Strahd, the Lost Sword, as well as a reflavored Statuette of Saint Markovia. Finally, from Waterdeep Dragon Heist, Ring of Truth-Telling. Alright, so thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms once again. If you're interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms Religion. These episodes are also uploaded to YouTube as well. The podcast YouTube channel can be found under Religion in the Realms. If you wish to get in touch with me, my p- personal Twitter is at Shiv's Embrace. You can also send me an email to realmsreligion at gmail.com, all in lowercase. Before we go, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to iTunes user Bradley Bear for the kind words and review on iTunes Canada. Many thanks, my fellow Canadian friend. For those interested, I have posted a link in the video description to a Discord server I've set up. For audio listeners, you can find a link to the invite pinned on the podcast Twitter page. The next episode will be on Shantia, neutral good deity of farmers and agriculture. So until next time... May Ty'Mora look kindly upon your dice rolls. Helm protect you, and Lethander light your path. Music for this episode, Hidden Past by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.